Hi, thank you for listening to this episode of the Following Films Podcast, a movie podcast that takes you on a weekly journey into the world of cinema and into the minds of the talented individuals who shape it. I'm your host, Chris Maynard, and today we're joined by editors Timothy A. Good and Emily Mendez to discuss their Emmy-nominated work on The Last of Us. After a global pandemic destroys civilization, a hardened survivor takes charge of a 14-year-old girl who may be humanity's last hope. While the series has more than enough gore and action to satisfy even the most craven of genre fans, the show, in its heart, is about survival, moving on in the face of great loss and ultimately hope, and about the importance of vulnerability in dangerous times. At least to me it is. To you, it could be something wildly different, and you are just as, if not more right, probably more right than me. But before we dive into our conversation with Tim and Emily, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Bookman's. Bookman's is your go-to independent bookstore, where you can find an extensive selection of books, movies, music, and so much more. They truly believe in the power of storytelling and of the cinematic arts. So if you're looking to expand your film, music, or movie collection, be sure to visit your nearest Bookman's. There's always something truly wonderful to discover. Have you followed the following films podcast on Spotify? If you have, well, thank you. If you haven't, head on over to Spotify. Search for following films and give us a follow. It really does help the show. Now, personally, I have my fingers crossed for Tim and Emily on Emmy night. Just great people making great art. The Last of Us is currently available to stream on HBO Max. Wait, no, it's just Max now. It's streaming on Max. That sounds weird, but it's right. I'll make sure I tweet about it on X. Strange days, people. Strange days. Enjoy the show. Hello. Hold on just a second. Let me get this all set up. Looking good. Fantastic. There we go. And boom. There it there is. Nice. Look Hi. Hi, Chris. How... Chris or Christopher? Chris is great. That's perfect. Great. And Tim is great for me. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Hey, Emily, how are you today? Hello. I'm great. How are you? Hi. She's there. I'm here. There we go. Phenomenal. Uh, thank you both so much for taking the time to do this today. I could not be happier to be talking to two of you. Thank right you. Oh, thank you for thrilled. having us. Yeah. yeah. Which honestly is a big surprise because I think a lot of people probably had the reaction that i did when they heard about this show it was i could care less about a show that's coming from a video game and go ahead and layer on top of that one that's about zombies yeah care not inside my wheelhouse and then around episode three i started hearing this undeniable buzz that this was something that i had to watch and get through so me and my wife took the plunge on it started watching the show and it was heartbreaking as you would expect but it was, you know, something like in episode five, the one that you're working on. It's the depth of humanity in this show that I think is the reason um, the genre stuff you can almost completely eliminate from the show. And I think it would absolutely hold up without it. I was just if you could both talk a little bit about what drew you into this project, because it's just uh, it's phenomenal. And, and if anybody listening to this hasn't already seen it, just stop because there's a lot of stuff in here I actually want to get into that would spoil the hell out of this episode and just do yourself a favor and check it out. But not now that's out of the way. Yeah. Um, I mean, listen, 
Craig Mason is the most incredible writer. Yeah. So I, you know, I would basically, I, and I told him this, I, 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 I'm, I'm now friends with him, but I was, uh, my husband and him, I've been friends for many years and he had showed us at our house one dinner party night, uh, a trailer for Chernobyl that he had just made. And I yeah. was just like, oh my gosh. So I told him at that, uh, that night, I said, any, anything you do next, I, I'm going to track you down. Because this is this this is the kind of of uh, writing and storytelling that I love, nuanced character based uh, work. And so when I found out it was going to be Last of Us, it was like I didn't know anything about it either because I don't play video games. So, but my husband has been writing for video games, so he knew, and he was like, "Oh, that's a great story." And I said, "Well, that's interesting because I don't necessarily care about a video game, um, <laughs> but I do care about great stories." And knowing that Craig was going to be writing it, I just sort of. I, I kept knocking on the door until the door finally opened up. Um, and then I was able to bring Emily along with us. That said, Emily, you have a very different story. Yeah. My story is very different because I had played the game. I loved the game. It was something that I remember like connecting to even just at that game level. It was, it was such a beautiful story with beautiful characters in, even though it was, you know, a zombie game, you know, a yeah. game infected and, it uh, so I was so excited when Tim called me and he was like, you know, we might move on to the show called The Last of Us. I was like, this is a great, that's a great game. This is a great story. You know, we have to do this. And um, so when I was going into it, it was something that I knew about. I knew the characters. I hadn't played the game for a couple years prior, which was good because it wasn't like it was so fresh that it was like dictating everything that I was doing. But I think it was really good to like know the background, know the characters, and kind of have a a different mindset. It was it was great for Tim and I to have both viewpoints of like having the game, but also Tim not play, having played the game. So yeah, it worked in our favor, I think. Well, yeah, I, yeah I, sorry about, oh, go ahead, oh, go, please, ahead. go ahead. I, well, I, I was just going to say, I, I was approaching it uh, without any knowledge. So, and, and, and in a way I kept saying, I have to be the ambassador for everyone who hasn't played the game. Uh, perhaps like your wife, perhaps. So, yeah. and it's like everyone who hasn't played this game, it, it still has to work. It can't just be for gamers. If it is, then then I think that we're not going to succeed. Well, that that's what I was going to say. It's that interesting, you know, combination of the two of you having those distinct points of view. Because one of the most challenging things to me, uh, having when I've tried to edit anything, it's the divorcing myself from the knowledge I already have. It's if I was familiar with the book, if I've watched. 300 different iterations of this one scene. Do I actually, do I know this because of the information I already have, or am I able to watch this with fresh eyes? But the two of you could come together on this and really kind of, I think, make something that is both servicing the thing that you loved about this, Emily, as well as something, uh, Timothy or Tim, that a first timer doesn't need that entry level, that the barrier is set at the point that you can just watch this on its own and you don't need. Uh, need that but I'm, I'm wondering emily was there things in here were there things in here that are that fan service level little nods and things that you picked up on that maybe us the sort of the noobs might not pick up on with this material there were definitely things that craig and neil had incorporated into the script small nods that were then you know in the footage as we were getting it in and it, if there were things coming in that i recognized that I would I would tell Tim like hey like in this scene where Ellie walks into this gas station that's abandoned and she goes up to this game she's talking about someone who's really important you know like so Tim didn't know who Riley was mm. at that point that was that first episode that we worked on was a long long time and so that was during that episode where this happened and I was like you know so I would tell Tim 
details like that that just stood out to me that I was like, you know, this is an important thing or this shirt that she pulls out of this box during this montage is a really important shirt. It's this iconic Ellie shirt, like just things like that to point out to Tim. So we could get those details incorporated early on because Craig and Neil would have gotten those into the cut eventually. But it's like, because when you're editing and we have an editor's cut, it's good to have those things up there from the beginning. So, so that was a really helpful thing that Tim and I would do. And and I would just point out things like that. So, yeah. And then it's, I, I, I literally got goosebumps when you mentioned the Riley thing, because it's just there's so many different elements of the story that it's just such a profoundly beautiful human story, which I was not anticipating at all. Um, yeah. And congratulations on the well-deserved uh, Emmy nomination for this, because this is like this one episode is it's essentially like five different things in one where you have these action set pieces in it, but then you have the ending scene in this where there's just a absolute devastation. Then you have the isolation when they're up in this um, attic essentially. And it's just, it's almost like a night of the living dead thing to some degree. And then there, it's just all these elements that are pulling together. How do you approach material like this? Um, or when are you brought in? Is it something that while they're shooting, or are you looking at the script phase? When do you start kind of mapping out your ideas for the plan for something like this? Oh yeah. I mean, like we're, we were right alongside production. Okay. Um, and so every day that uh, they're filming the next day, we're getting things. And then specifically on that battle sequence uh, in episode five, it was a three week shoot overnight. Okay. So <laughs> they spent three full weeks out there. Um, and so every night they would say, did we get all of the pieces that you think we need? And what do we, what else do we need? Because if, if you don't find what we're, what we need, we're still there for another week. So, and so I would constantly be going through the footage and most of the time it was like, Hey, you know what? You guys got everything. But I do remember once I'm saying, I think we might want a little bit more Joel up in the Cypress nest. You know, I'm, I'm finding, I'm using a lot of the great stuff, but I, I might be running out of options. Um, and so it might be nice to have a couple more options. And, and uh, the director, Jeremy Webb, and I talked about it initially and he says, Oh, that's a great idea. Let me go up there and do it. So he did and got some really fantastic angles and new pieces. Um, that we were able to uh, to help tell that story of of Ellie and Joel's sort of connection. So so that was a really uh, nice way to do it. But yeah, and and in terms of sort of building it overall, we we work in this sort of way where we 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 build these individual scenes first. So each scene has to work individually before anything else. Uh, and each scene has its own rhythms. Each scene has its own properties. And then once we're done with all of the scenes, then we start uh, uh, putting them all together and seeing how they flow together. And then we start making adjustments at that point as to, oh, well, you know, this scene is actually a little too slow. Uh, mm. It needs to go a little bit faster because in, con in context of everything else that we have now, maybe not that much faster, but sometimes we'll, we'll notice that there's a, oh, there's a real pace sort of uh, slowing here that we, we could probably adjust at this point. So once we start uh, taking it from the, the bricks into the building, as I like to call it, uh, the building starts to take shape. Uh, and then we really just uh, uh, begin the process of uh, simplification and ornamentation. Well, yeah. I, I'm so glad you mentioned that the sniper sequence, because in viewing this a second time, this was a specific episode that when I watched this, I said, well, I don't ever need to see that again. I, I don't ever want to go back and kind of revisit that the ending of this episode is just yeah, absolutely heartbreaking. But when I was rewatching this for preparation, I did, I noticed something that I hadn't, that the purpose of that battle sequence really is 
the drawing in of Ellie and Joel's relationship. That is the point of them getting closer together and you see them communicating with each other and you see that bond and there's a depth to it that really I'm, it's been building throughout. But then at that point, it's just, they are, their DNA is intertwined at this point. And it's just something that you don't necessarily pick up on the first time around. And I think these yeah. episodes do really lend themselves to rewatchability. Yeah, no, we, we, we design them for 17 time viewings. <laughs> um, we really do. We say on the 17th time, the viewer may get this. Um, but yes, and and you've nailed it. That was, that was the intention going in was it was about showing how Joel is no longer, um, he's thinking only in terms of protecting Ellie and nothing else. We did have material of Joel firing at the bloater, for example, other infected, whatnot. But, you know, ultimately when Craig and I and Emily started working on the sequence all together, we said, let's take a, this, this. he says, what is the story? Of what's happening here and the story is is we're seeing joel start to become the father that he swore he wouldn't do and and he's doing it because he has no choice that's instinct at this point it's all kicking in as uh as as someone who was a parent who's becoming a parent again and so this is a major fulcrum major turning point in in how he feels um and so we eliminated all of the pieces of joel firing at anything other than protecting ellie uh, similarly, every other piece of material that was in that battle sequence that was not servicing either that story or a sense of a threat to Ellie or a threat to um, the Kathleen and Perry's characters, which are echo characters. Sam and Henry also are echo characters yeah. of Joel and Ellie. They're protective dyads. Uh, and so one protects the other. You know, Perry protects uh, uh, Kathleen. Henry protects Sam. And now Joel's protecting Ellie. And so to see the the, the results of what happens to all of them uh, is ultimately why I think that the Joel and Ellie connection it's it's like almost like subconscious how you start to 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 blend in with uh, how their uh, how that uh, relationship is transforming. Yeah, but that's what I love about the show is the connections that we're seeing. So we're seeing connections in all types of situations. You know, you the, the massive action sequence but you still have this connection and then we have other scenes where it's like they're going through this tunnel they find this underground settlement so then you have a connection between sam and ellie and them being kids and then and later we have a scene with kathleen and seeing kind of her more motivation of why she's doing what she's doing and so it's like we're allowed to connect with these characters and, and see like why they're doing what they're doing and i think that that gives it so much heart and, and I love that about the show. And I think that's why we have this delicate balance of like, well, we might have a scene that's scary here, but then we have a scene that's really heartfelt and emotional next. And, and, and it's, it's a great thing to work on it. It's really, really so much fun. Yeah. And even a scary scene that is, is we tend to edit it like it's a character scene. Mm-hmm. So in long, long time, episode three, when the, the infected is down below the, the Cumberland farms and Ellie goes and stabs it. That's a character scene because she doesn't, it's not like it's scary at first because she's startled, but then it becomes this other thing. And we used to have like sort of a little bit more horror-esque music in there. And Craig said, this isn't horror. This is uh, uh, her uh, seeing a pathetic human and, and what she does to that pathetic human. That has been infected and and then it's going to only real you're only going to realize it maybe on a second viewing when you go oh she wanted to see the thing that killed riley and she yeah. wanted to study it and then she wanted to kill it for riley and and it's that i that kind of weight behind these actions that it is not something that is simply there to give you the horror thing to give you that jump thing that you need it's not the bloodlust it's all these decisions are character driven even when you pull away 
like you were saying, it's this, um, you pull away from the central story here when you pull away from them and we meet Sam and we see this relationship that is a mirror of it the whole time, whether you're conscious of it or not, you are being reminded of this underlying theme of it, of this bond between, you know, the father and son or father and daughter, mother and son. And it's these, these images that are in these sort of exact same arcs that are playing out over all these different people. And it's just, there's a beauty in that, that it's, we get so separated from one another that we see all these other people around us as the other, they're the interloper, the outsider from these relationships. But if we break it down to our, just the most pure elements, we're all very much the same at that. And I think yeah. that's just something that's really beautiful about this and something, a, a story that really does need to be told right now, especially, you know, with everything that's going on in this country right now. Absolutely. And and you you nailed it. That's that was the intention. I'm so glad that it it resonated in that way for you. Well, it's um the thing is though, this is something that um it works on multiple levels. So it's something that you can watch this and not be overly dialed into it. And I think you could kind of have a passive experience with, with this. It's a far more rewarding experience when you lean in and pay attention and pick up on these things. And, and really you're just, it's something that does ask you to, um, it doesn't demand, but it just, it gives you a, a nice treat when you do pay attention to it, which yeah. is some of my favorite art, honestly. Exactly. All, all the, all the crumbs add up to a, an actual cookie, you know? Yeah. It, it, it's so can you talk about, um, that idea, um, Emily, a little bit of changing focus? And kind of keeping these main stories moving along while you're, um, you kind of have the Godfather two issue where you can, you can spend way too much time in this other B story. And then you have to be kind of reminded. And I feel like in my, the way this is designed, I do feel the weight of the center story at all times. Even when you completely deviate for an hour, I can still feel that. And you talk about that kind of, uh, that balance. We, we definitely were led so strongly by Craig. And his scripts, I mean, he, those scripts from the beginning are just so beautiful. And then him and Neil work closely together to, you know, bring this story to life. And, and so we're going off of those and basically Tim and I are really story driven as far as when we're editing. So if we're reading a scene and we're like, okay, well, this scene is when they're going into the tunnels and this is the, and there's an example and, and there's a scene where they're about to go in the tunnels and Ellie pulls out her gun and Joel like actually lets her use the gun. And yeah. so that it's like, we know character wise that she's been wanting to use a gun this whole time. And then finally she gets to do it. So it's like giving that moment, you know, pulling the performance to us. That seems the most true of like her being like, okay, I've got this gun now. And she's like proud of herself. And so you have these like moments where you like feel like they're real. And, 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 you know, that, that moment, you know, turns scary, but still at the beginning, we're still true to the character where she's like, okay, I finally have won. I finally get to, you know, have my gun in this, in the scene. And, and um, so that's, that's a really fun thing, but I think ultimately it's us trying to, when we're watching the dailies, pull out moments that, that sit with us as far as like, okay, this is Ellie, or this is, you know, standing out to be Joel, or this is kind of, you know, Craig gives these wonderful notes. Like Tim was just saying, you know, he'll be like, okay, well, I want this scene to feel this way. Like it should be about this, this thing story-wise. And so then it's our job to watch through the dailies and find performances that support that. So really it's us supporting the story with Craig and, and kind of putting these pieces together to kind of form this puzzle that gets the story to its truest place. And that, and that's something that we're just 
doing on a collaborative basis based on the, the script. And it's a really fun process. I, I love it. It's like puzzle solving and, you know, it's, it's the most fun. So. Today's episode of the following films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. Do you have books, movies, or music gathering dust on your shelves? Give them a new life at Bookman's. They gladly accept trade-ins and buy used media. Clear up some space for new artistic journeys while knowing that your books, movies, and music will find a loving home. On my latest trip to Bookman's, I found a copy of the 1946 film, Beauty and the Beast. This film is an absolute classic and a cinematic treasure that has stood the test of time, captivating audiences for generations now. This film is extraordinary. It weaves a spellbinding tale that touches the heart and ignites your imagination. From the very first frame, the exquisite artistry and attention to detail transport you to a mesmerizing realm of fantasy and wonder. Cocteau's visionary direction infuses each scene with poetic elegance, and it allows the story to unfold in a visually stunning and emotionally resonant manner. One cannot help but be captivated by the production design and breathtaking cinematography. The opulent castle, with its haunting corridors and magical rooms, becomes a character in itself. And this isn't like when people say New York is a character in the film. This is a literal character in the film. The ethereal lighting and intricate set pieces create a visual feast that immerses the audience in a realm of enchantment. What truly sets this rendition of Beauty and the Beast apart is its ability to delve beyond the surface and explore the complexities of human nature. The film delves into themes of love, sacrifice, and the transformative power of acceptance. It reminds us that true beauty lies within and that appearances can be deceiving. The allegorical elements presented throughout the story add depth and thought-provoking layers, making it a timeless tale with universal resonance. Beauty and the Beast, it's nothing short of a triumph when it comes to storytelling and craftsmanship, a true cinematic gem that continues to captivate audiences even after decades. There's very few things you can see that were made 80 plus years ago, or almost 80 years now, I guess, if I'm doing my math correctly, um, that still hold up. That stands as a testament to the power and imagination and the enduring appeal of a tale as old as time. If you seek a film that transports you to a world of magic, look no further than this timeless masterpiece. I cannot recommend the film highly enough and recommend that you go to your local Bookman's to unearth your new favorite film. Remember, Bookman's has your cool covered. Enjoy the rest of the show. Y'all are a special breed. The idea, <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it is that um, the idea of sitting down with a 45,000 piece jigsaw puzzle and yeah. trying to put that together, There's that's not for everybody. So yeah, the, the pieces keep changing. Yeah, they always change. It'll be like you can put it together and it'll be one way and the scene will feel one way. And then someone will be like, oh, well, I want it to feel this way. And so then you got to figure it out. But I love that. I think that's so fun. It's like I think being open to that collaborative process is what gets you to a great place because you're you're bringing together all these ideas and thoughts into the material. And so when you're more open to notes and open to feedback, that's when I think stuff starts to shine because then you can really build things out. So. And how do the two of you work together? I know it's the most basic question in the world, but um, are you tackling scenes on your own and then coming together sequences or do you go through the whole process together? 
Oh yeah, I mean, that's a it's a it's a great question, and and I'll take you through it. It's super great. Uh, the fun part is that Emily was my assistant editor until uh, she was promoted to editor on the series with me. Wow! Um, because a I needed the help, and b I knew she was ready to do it. And c Craig Mason is a is an incredible supporter of of emerging artists. So, but to, uh, all those things aside, what Emily would do with, as an assistant editor with me is she would sit in the, in, uh, the room with me after all of her chores were uh, of the, as an assistant were done because she was so good at it and she was so fast. And my whole thing is mentorship. I love it. I love teaching and I love uh, helping other people who don't maybe have as much experience as I do to have more experience uh, as fast as possible. Um, and so she would sit and she would watch me edit and she would ask questions. I would tell her what I was doing. So it was, that was very, very collaborative and very sort of, uh, uh, sort of us doing things together. But then as, as she was the, uh, became the co-editor way, we, the way we'd like to do it is I'd say, you go do these scenes and we would design it in a way where it's like, all right, why don't you take the entire Maria Ellie arc in episode six, you take that whole thing. And then I'll take this arc of I'll take I'll, I'll take the brothers I'll take Joel and and Tommy you take Ellie and Maria and and we will then do those all uh, uh, sort of separately but then we'll share our scenes with one another when we're done with them and then we give feedback to one another as to what we feel is working what we feel oh there, there's an opportunity here perhaps of this and maybe we don't need this or oh, okay I see these lines are here uh, let's leave them in for now but these are you know keep in the back of our minds we don't need these we don't think so you know we have all we, we basically like strategize um as we're uh going apart and then we and then we disappear again and do the things and then come back and then usually it's like great great and then we put everything together and i always i always am very i'm always amazed that when you look at like for example episode five you cannot tell which scenes are edited by emily you cannot tell which scenes are edited by me it is impossible to know because ultimately at the end we've collaborated together to make the story and the emotion and the characters be the our primary uh, purpose. Yeah, it's a great process like it and it is so fun and you know Tim and I started working together officially like in 2019 on The Resident uh which is a fo- was a Fox show and uh it was a medical drama and so when I would go into his room, I would watch him cut surgery scenes because I was like, I want to know how to cut surgery scenes. Like I was so interested in like, how do you do this? And so, but what was great about it is some of those were really complicated and and he would really walk me through just all of his thinking behind it. And it, and it just like blew my mind. So I absorbed all that from him as much as I could. We were co-editing also on a couple episodes and that. And so we just kind of grew our relationship from there. And I think that we were so just honest with each other we have very similar work ethics and 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 it just it's a great partnership that we have to be able to you know edit together and and i've loved every second of it i'm very grateful that tim and craig gave me the opportunity to move up and i'm happy that it worked out and we ended up co-editing four episodes together and it flew by and i had it was just the best the best time ever so could you just uh talk a little bit about those times when you has there been a moment where you've said I have an idea that's a little bit different than Tim's and I want to present this to him and and it's this maybe he doesn't see things exactly how you do and how do you how do you approach the teacher with the, the that's mentor a, with that's something a good like that's that? a good question <laughs> I think let's see if I'm trying to think if one comes to mind because normally what will happen is we'll split up our scenes and then he'll cut his scenes, I'll cut my scenes, and then we'll like present them to each other. Mm-hmm. So normally it's like more like 
I'll tell Tim if like something for me wasn't working or if I was confused by something. That's one thing I'm always looking for. Like, am I confused by something? Because I think clarity is super important. And so like that will be something I point out. Or if I'm like, you know, this performance like wasn't standing out to me or whatever. But normally Tim's stuff is like great. Like, but we we will still talk about it and I'll tell him if stuff stands out to me. I can't think of like an actual scene. We we are a couple that does not fight. Yeah. <laughs> And and yeah. everybody on the outside never believes it when we hear that about couples. They never so believe it. That, that is go, not a real not couple. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny though because like ultimately we know, and 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 a lot of it is that we're very respectful of of you know our showrunners and our writers and directors. We know it's not about us. It's mm. about the story. It's about what we're trying to do with the character, and you know ultimately learning how Craig likes to see things. We we learn very quickly because he's very descriptive in his scripts. Uh, as to what he's uh, trying to achieve. So we have a really great roadmap in terms of approach. Um, and so we usually just take that uh, as our as our guiding light. Um, so yeah, there really there really weren't times where I was like, I would totally do like the the big dance and kiss with you know Ellie and Riley. I would have I, I I told Emily I'm like, I'll I wouldn't do anything differently. That was great. You you nailed Beautiful. it. So yeah. Um can you talk a little bit about is there a difference between cutting intellectually where if at this moment I know that this will happen and a difference between that and cutting when it's a feeling like you can't necessarily quantify why it impacts something, but there is a difference in tone or emotional reaction to something. Yeah. An amazing question. <laughs> Emily, do you, do you want to start? Yeah, I will yeah. start. So I think there, it's a balance. I think it's a really good balance of both honestly, at yeah. least for me. So when I'm watching the dailies, I'm like marking things for geography, for clarity, for story, but I'm also marking things for like emotion. I'm marking things. If I laughed, like if I laugh mm -hmm. out loud while I'm watching something like, cause it's funny and it should be, and I'll mark it. So I, when I'm watching dailies, I'm like watching the first time, this is my true reaction. And it's the best way to just keep track of all those things. So once you watch through all the dailies, you kind of have an idea of this roadmap. You're like, okay, well, I know that I kind of need to show this wide shot because I need this character to get from this point to that point. But then I really want to use this close up at some point because it shows her emotional journey and I'm going to stay on her here. So it's like you're you're constantly trying to have this delicate balance of like, you know, staying clear with the story, but also having some moments of connection and having moments where you're seeing the characters come to life. And I think that is like our biggest like difficulty sometimes is finding that balance but that's also what's fun about our job is like finding that balance and making the scene work and and putting all those pieces together so then you have this like beautiful scene so that's at least for me yeah i would agree with you and, and in terms of uh i always cut it for for emotion primarily hmm. and then i and then i will and i speak of the intellectualization of it afterwards okay um, i just think in terms of like why do I want to go here now? It's for the reason I need to see Bill's reaction to what Frank has just said. I, I desperately, I, I feel like I would, as the audience, desperately want to see that. And I also feel like showing the reaction is going to be critical to the audience's understanding of it. There's the intellectualiz intellectualization of that. Um, because I, I, I always do try and think of myself as that really smart audience member who's like really paying attention and 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 not just sort of leaning back. Um, and I try to, uh, to outsmart even them, uh, <laughs> if, if possible, yeah. um, it's not easy, but I, I, it's, it's, it's a goal I set for myself to say, all right, 
I'm going to try if I'm, there's never any um, overt sort of editing with me. It's always very subtle. If I can uh, try and keep everything as uh, you know, viewer, you know, Oh, I can bring my own sort of feeling to this as if I want. Um, And so in terms of that, it's just, you know, I, I always have the feeling to make the edit first and then I'll step back and sort of start realizing why things were done. Because ultimately if I don't have a reason why I made an edit and someone says, why did you make that edit? And I don't have an answer. I'm in trouble because they're going to say, well, what are you doing? So what do you, that was one of the first things I learned when I was mentored was always have a reason. Um, if you don't have a reason, then you can't say that what you're doing is any, in any way special. Yeah. Really interesting. Um, there's a element of editing that's musical where there is a rhythm to it that you have to have. And I think that when you're cutting, it's the, it's either you're cutting before on or after the beat. And it feels like this is oftentimes cut after the beat where you're giving that room in that, is that something that you're conscious of and thinking of when you do say, okay, I'm going to pull this out the exact moment before the audience is expecting this to hit for a different indication or how, like we're talking sometimes frames of seconds where it's just that kind of cutting. Um, Is that something that you are thinking about that kind of um, granular detail on this? Absolutely. And that's literally, and, and it, and it changes for me. Um, sometimes I'll want to have the beat after the line yeah. versus before the line. And it's, and again, I, the lines are great and all that's Craig's job and it's, they're amazing lines, but the, the actor's job is, uh, is to find the reason to get to the lines and how they feel after the lines are being said. And it's our job to decide what, you know, what of those uh, decision moments and feelings after things are said are important to the story and not just the story, but the character's uh, overall uh, arc and and how the story is is emerging. And so I will think about things like, okay, I need to see uh, Frank make a decision to say to Bill, you know, um, well, I uh, guess I'm going to leave now, as opposed to just hear it off camera. I need to see him look at him and go, all right, what do I do? I want to stay. So what if I just tell him I'm going to leave? Because that that's reverse psychology, right? And so if I didn't see him have that beat of decision, then the audience wouldn't see that he's actually sort of trying to play a little game to stay longer. And so again, I think the audience kind of gets it. They go, "Oh, he's he wants to stay longer." And then you see, and then you see Bill going, uh, "Sure," but then I, but then I held on Bill afterwards because Bill's going, "Yeah, I guess you should." <laughs> And then Frank catches that little like hesitation at the end of that line, which is him saying, I did say that, but I don't mean it. Um, and so s- things like that are what we live for. Um, and it's truly like how we uh, uh, approach all editing is just to see how each uh, each sort of, um, uh, gosh, nonverbal, you know, cue uh, helps drive the, drive the story, drive the words and allow the audience to really be really close to these characters. And that's how I would approach it. Emily, do you have any other uh, ways? I th- Yeah, no, I think exactly what you were saying, I, I relate with. And I, that's why it's so important when we're watching the dailies. It's like, if we're watching a take of someone who's mostly reacting to another person talking, we're still marking things down because eye movement is really important. Like, we'll, we'll pay attention to eye movement. Like, is this person making eye contact? Are they not? Are they looking over at this other person at a certain time when they say something specific? Like, 
we're making these choices to build this connection and to be like, okay, well, this character is feeling this way. So she's going to look away. But maybe once the the character she's talking to says something that she's interested in, she's going to look at them or, you know, whatever. So we're always making these choices to build on the story. And I think it's, it's a really cool thing to be. Yeah. And then the other thing is that it's, if, if we can at all help it, it's never arbitrary. It's yeah. never because, oh, we need to get from this shot to that shot, and therefore we need to throw something in the middle here. Here, someone can look from left to right here. No. It's always about why emotionally they're doing it. So hopefully there's no um, story uh, excess. There's nothing excess. It's all story and character and emotion. So it's, in theory, we're doing all muscle uh, and no fat. Well, that's the the alchemy of editing. It's the the invisible work that has to happen yeah. where it's when you're doing your job, nobody notices it. It's how yeah. do you know that was great editing? I, I don't know. Cause I, cause I didn't notice that there was a bunch of jump cuts or that they left on something for 30 minutes. Um, it's not calling attention to itself and that there it's that thankless, wonderful, invisible work though. <laughs> it's so, um, what draws you in to do that? Cause it's just, I mean, it's such a, wonderful element and necessary incredibly undervalued part but it's that undervalued piece of storytelling in film and television that i think that the i think anybody that's involved in it gets it but outside of that i'm not sure how much people appreciate what editors do yeah i mean i i get the sense sometimes that people don't really know what we do you know like they just don't they don't know and and i think that for me i'm just drawn in because of it's it's like when I'm editing, I will literally sit at the computer and then my day flashes by in an instant because it's because I'm having so much fun. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like I was talking about before, like the puzzle solving. Like I love puzzles, like I have been obsessed with puzzles since I was a kid. And um, I've been editing since basically I was a kid, like self-taught for a long time, like so drawn into creating stories. I've always loved stories and editing is you know, it's storytelling in its own right, because you, you're visually telling the story. And it's like, it's kind of like a second writing of the of the piece sometimes. And so I've, I love it. I, I've always been drawn to stories. And I've always loved computers and puzzles. And so all those things mixed together into editing for me. And uh, that's why I'm drawn to it. And how about you, Timothy? Yeah, I'm, I'm drawn to it because in my life, I am an observer. I've been observing my every, like I, I, I'm always interested in what's happening at the table next to me. I don't know why, but I'm just like, I'd love to watch people behave. And I love to sort of like sort of play and suss out what's going on. And then, Oh, they're having a big fight. This is not the first fight, you know, and it's just exciting for me for some reason. So I've always sort of, as an outsider myself, I've always been looking I, I i was never like in a situation where i was just like doing things sort of willy-nilly you know ignorance is bliss for all those folks lovely for them not for me um for me it was like you're on the sidelines your last pick for dodgeball la la la. so i got to figure out you know how do i get picked second to last so i'm not last how do i this how do i that what is it going to take for me to do this how can, how can i observe how people are behaving to, to sort of move my rank up in theory um as a youngster and then the same thing now i just i i find Human behavior, fascinating. I find the way people behave. I, I find the way actors do their job fascinating as well, because when they're in a character, they truly disappear. They really do. Mm -hmm. And then you can judge them um, neurologically. You can literally judge them because they're making unconscious decisions. And and we can, knowing what those unconscious decisions are, we can uh, take advantage of, of, of seeing those things. Like when an actor 
or a character, I should say, uh, uh, is is told something that they didn't expect. They will start to blink unconsciously because they're they're turning off their sense of sight to process internally and, and move through their supercomputer to to process this emotion. And we get to take advantage of that. So I just find it to be the most delicate manipulation. Uh, and and for me, it's like you're you're dealing in human emotions, the most incredible. Uh, manipulative thing you can possibly do. And and as long as we have good intentions, you know, sometimes bad intentions, um, but mostly good intentions, I think it is, it's the art form that allows us to really feel like, you know, uh, as people who are not necessarily actively involved on set, you know, in the process of writing, directing, all these things, we get to, to make the movie. Well said. I have never had editing explained in a way that helped me get my head around it until you mentioned the idea that you and your husband are in there projecting fights into other couples that are sitting at the restaurant across. We all do that. Everybody yeah. does that when you go in and you kind of start creating the, the this these stories around you that don't even exist. And, and airports are one of the most wonderful places to do that to pass time. So love it. So yeah, I okay. Now now I think I think I get, it, get it. that that much more. So yeah, it's it's a lot closer. But congratulations. Congratulations on the nod. Thank and you. You guys done Thank some you. great work. And I it was so great to meet both of you today. And I Thank you, Chris. love seeing the Thank two of you working together. I hope this partnership continues. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's going to be great. Good. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you for taking the time. And well, hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime. All right. Yeah. All right. Take Thanks, care, Chris. Uh, okay. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Time enough to figure you out Time enough to write this down Wish me luck, give me hope
Wisecrack.